Let me pray real quick before I start. Father, Lord, I ask this morning that you would come more than ever. God, on this day to reveal your heart to us. Father, help me get out of the way. Help me reveal your kingdom this morning. Help me reveal who you are and what you're doing in our midst, God. You are the worthy king and we come this morning to worship and honor your name. Jesus, be exalted here this morning. I pray, Lord, all over this city and all over this nation, Father, that this morning would not be about how big a service we can put on, how flashy we can make our Easter celebration, God. I pray that it won't be about eggs or bunnies, Father, but that there will be a name above all names that is declared this morning. God, and not just today, Lord, that this would be the start for many to, to declare your name day in and day out. Lord, you are risen, God, but you were risen yesterday and you'll be risen tomorrow, Lord. And we thank you for the fullness that you've given us. We love you, we honor you, Jesus. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, that whatever I say this morning that's not of you, may it fall away. But the things you want to instill in us, God, may they burn deep in our hearts. We love you, we honor you, Jesus. And in your name, we pray, amen. I have so many different notes and so many things all over the place. And I, I just during worship, even God was just revealing more in this. And I, I've been thinking a lot about today. And, and obviously, this is, for most Christians, the, the pinnacle of our faith, right? This is the, the day beyond all days that we, we want to come and celebrate. And, and I love that. And it, and it is exciting. And we're going to celebrate. And I'm going to speak a little bit about that. But, you know, it's a challenge for me because... When you think about today from a non-Christian perspective, I think that in our faith we've misunderstood how to explain the gospel and how to explain the cross. Just go with me for a second. If you're a non-Christian and, and you're hearing this story, just think about it from, a, from the, the shoes like that. So you crazy Christians, right? You believe in this all-powerful, almighty, creating God. Yes. Okay. And he created some people, yep. And they entered into something called sin or they broke the rules, yep. Then they fell into darkness, yep. And then the only way your creating God could get them back was to send his son and to murder, to murder him in a most violent and broken way, yes. And then we all get to come back into a relationship with him, yes. Hmm. And then your God continues to preach about love and forgiveness, yes, while he murdered his son on a cross, Yes. Like when we think about it from that perspective, without actually being able to explain the intricacies of the cross, and we get a non-Christian to the position where we say, come and worship our supreme, powerful, almighty God who couldn't help himself but murder his son on the cross, it starts to become a little bit challenging for us as Christians. And I know this is a little bit forward, right in your face, right off the start, but I, I know most of us in this room are mature Christians, and I want to take us a little bit deeper this morning. Because over the week I've been surveying people unbeknownst to them and asking them, hey, why did Jesus die on the cross? And the answer is pretty much the same for most believers, to save me from my sins and to get me to heaven. And when you, when you boil it down to that, you get to the place where you go, so God couldn't do that any other way than to send his son and to kill him. And I once heard this Muslim apologist which is somebody who argues for a faith as Christians, apologists, Muslim apologists, somebody who argues on the side of their faith. And he said, your God preaches love and forgiveness and he answered the problem of sin with violent retribution and anger. I remember sitting there and listening to this guy and being like, he's right. That doesn't make any sense. 
that an angry God would be so angry that he couldn't for a moment lay aside his anger to love his son, that he sent him to the cross. And I started to realize this seems broken to me. And I was at uni at the time and I was learning how to study and I, I dove deep into the cross. I was like, God, I've got to understand this because this I can't give this to a non-believer. Come and follow this God who slaughtered his son. And when I started to think more and more about it, I got to this place where I was like, Lord, how do we celebrate this? And on Friday night, just gone, I watched again The Passion of the Christ and some friends of ours, Brad and Gnomes, were over and we were just chatting about it. And we were talking about the fact that it's an unusual thing that we celebrate this brutality. I was talking to Toves last week and he said, you know, the, the movie is so hard to watch. It's so brutal. And I said to him, no, I think the book's more brutal. But Toby, I watched it again. You're right, brutal. So hard to watch. And you watch the film and you're like, I was just sitting there thinking to myself, good gravy, how do we celebrate this? How do we celebrate? He didn't do anything wrong. From an from a understanding of my background, when I studied criminology, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, he's innocent. God, intervene. What are you doing? He didn't do anything wrong, Lord. And then I was thinking, look, I'm, I'm supposed to preach on Sunday morning and we're supposed to clap and cheer and celebrate. And I know that today is a day that he rose, but to, to, to settle for a moment on Good Friday, to settle for a moment when he's led to the cross and think, Lord, you didn't deserve this. And then to understand in and of ourselves how we present the gospel to people to say it was supposed to happen, it had to happen. But can I tell you something? God wasn't an angry father who turned his back on the son. God was not an angry father who turned his back on the son. That is a misrepresentation of, of your Bible. It says in John 3.16, For God so what the world? Loved the world, he sent his son. It was because of the love for you and I that he did this, not the anger on his son. When it says, when, when, when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he cries out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? He's not saying God wasn't there. He's quoting the prophecy in Psalm 22. I'm not going to get into that, but if you, when you go home, read Psalm 22 and look at the power that Jesus is quoting. He's saying, I am the promised one who was, who was designed all the way back from the very beginning. I am the great king and I hang on this cross and they are mocking me because I won't step down and stop it because I'm the one, but the prophecy has to be fulfilled. See, in, in, in Genesis 15, God made a covenant, a handshake deal, the strongest understanding of a promise that we had as a people with Abraham. He made a promise to Abraham. He said, I will give you all the generations, all the stars on earth, I will give to you, Abraham. What I want from you is righteousness. See, God made a covenant and a blood covenant in the old understanding was unto death. Mankind had to present themselves forward in full righteousness and we couldn't do it. He made a covenant with mankind knowing full well we wouldn't succeed in order to give us his people the generations. And what takes place then is that we go through all of Israel. They fail time and time and time and time again. And God continues to restore them. Come on, Israel. Step up into the righteousness I've given you. Step up into the righteousness I've given you. And they fail and fail. And God says, you cannot do it. Therefore, I will send my son to achieve the task. I want to put it to you this morning that God did not hang on the cross just to get us to heaven. In actual fact, he never says that in scripture at all. 
The cross is a call to action, not a call to sit and wait. The cross is a call for us to actually start to be who he asked us to be, to lay down our lives and to live through him, to pick up his life. But if we don't start to understand this, when someone comes along and says, hey, I wouldn't mind being a Christian, can you explain it to me? We've got to know what God is saying. We've got to know who he really is. Why? Because the cross is a loving act that to us looks like folly. It looks like nonsense. The Bible says that. Hey, this is not going to make much sense unless you really understand my nature and who I am. Unless you really understand love. Unless you truly take into grasp who I am as the Father, the love. But I want to show you something really incredible. If you've got a Bible... Go forward to me to Luke 24. There's a book that my wife started reading or finished reading and I, I skimmed bits and pieces of it, but there was something that this lady said in this book. The book's called Reading the Bible with Rabbi Jesus and it's a lady by the name of Louis Tvergberg. I'm sure that's not how you say her name, but it's my best crack at it. <laughs> but she, she poses this question, and she says, if I could go back to any time, Luke 24, verse 13, if I could go back to any time in history, she says, any moment in history, if I could choose one place to go back to, do you know where I'd go? She said, I'd go to the road to Emmaus on the third day when Jesus rose. And she goes on to explain why she would go to the road of Emmaus because of what Jesus says. And it's fascinating when you, when you read this text Luke 24, chapter 13, uh, verse 13 says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened while they were talking and discussing together. Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still. Looking sad, then one of them, named Cleopas, said, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mightly indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that there was one to redeem Israel. Just pause for a second. They didn't know that he was the risen king. They thought he was a prophet, right? He hadn't yet, re yet revealed himself as risen. They thought he was a prophet and he died. And well, the prophecies weren't true. He wasn't the one. So they're now leaving Jerusalem. They're going away from Jerusalem going, well, we thought it was him, Jesus of Nazareth, but I guess we were wrong. Let's go back to the place and hope for the next one to come. crucified him but we hope that there was one to redeem Israel yes and beside all of this it is now the third day since these things happened moreover some women of the company amazed us they were at the tomb early in the morning and when they did not find his body they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive some of some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said but they did not see him we heard he was alive but we checked it doesn't seem to be true and he said to them oh Foolish, Jesus speaking. He said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer 
these things and enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if they were going, he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it and broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened in the road and how he had gone to them in a breaking of bread. Two men, two men unbeknownst to us early in Scripture, walking on a road to Emmaus to go to a place because they didn't think that, that Jesus was, was the Messiah because he hadn't risen. It's day three. We've waited. He hasn't come back. Let's go now. Jesus meets them on the road and the most powerful thing in this verse is he says this, he took them through all scripture beginning with Moses. From from Genesis all the way through to Malachi. And he said, this is who I am in every single one of these stories. Jesus revealed himself. See right there, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. So when we read this book, we're not looking for us in it. We're not looking for how this interprets our life. We're not looking for this as some sort of help and guide to get us through. We're looking in this to see the great King. That all the way through Scripture, Jesus says, I am here, I am here, I am here. To sit with Him and have this amazing understanding all the way through that it wasn't just about Easter Sunday. It wasn't just His life, death and resurrection. He says, no, you know the very beginning? Like John said in the beginning, the word was, was with God, the word was God, I was right there. You know when I created it, when, when, when we bent down and we made you from clay, I was there. Do you know when you went in the garden and there was this tree that you could eat from and brought you life, I was there. I was there the whole way through and I'm with you now. What Jesus did in this moment is he said, I am the Messiah, but not just of this earth. I am the Messiah, the great one from the very beginning all the way through. And in that place, they were writing the to come. He who was, who is, and who is to come. Jesus reveals himself as the great king or all through scripture to them. And what tends to happen, and, and I, I've, I've started to notice over the last few years, is that this weekend, the world took this weekend and they made it about two things. A, a long public holiday where we get to go in and camp and go away and about Easter eggs. And I think, if I can be a little bit strong, I think the church also took this weekend and made it about us and they made it about our salvation. This weekend is not about our salvation. This weekend is about the glorification of Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Yes, we get saved. Yes, we get regeneration. We get new life. It's the most incredible thing we can ever begin to understand as human beings. But it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about Him. It's always been about Him. And it will always be about Him. And that's a good thing. Hear me, that's a good thing. We don't want it to be about us. Why? Because I'm no good. 
I'm going to stuff up. I'm going to fail. It shouldn't be about me. It's not about the production we can put on. It's not about us standing and clapping and cheering and feeling good about ourselves. It's about the worthiness of the O great King. Jesus, you died for this day to regenerate me, to bring me back in a relationship about you. Why? For your glory, O God. Ben, how can you say that? I'll show you. Psalms 23, chapter 2 says this. Sorry, Psalms chapter 23, verse 2 says this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness. Now, we like to stop there. That's what gets put on the fridge on our bumper stickers. But there's a little part that we forget. Do you know what the last part says? For his name's sake. He leads me beside green pastures. Everything I could ever need speaks of food and sustenance. He leads me beside still waters, peace, tranquility, wisdom. He restores my soul's salvation. He brings me back in and he leads me on the path of righteousness. He creates a life for me to stand out. But why? For his name's sake. It also says in Psalm 106 that our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. Romans 9 says, For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show you my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. See, God restored us. God allowed us to die to our old self. I spoke about yesterday, to die to our nature of sin and to be regenerated, re-brought back in, in him, in fullness. And he made us clean and he made us able to come into his presence. And it's absolutely incredible. And it's all that we would ever want or need. It's so incredibly exciting. Thank you, Lord. But it's for his name's sake that he does this. See, when we start to understand that the gospel of salvation is for us to come into him and then to live from him, to continue to increase the glory of his, of his abounds here on earth. Everything that happens in this scripture points toward the glorification of Yahweh. Everything that should happen in our life as a continuation of scripture should be to point toward the glorification of Yahweh. Our lives now exist to do what? For his name's sake, to bring him glory to operate in a realm that others cannot see and understand that yes, there's love, yes, there's fullness, the things we, we want to need, there's all of that. Prosperity, love, wisdom, guidance, all that stuff exists for one very, very important reason, for his name's sake. The reason this is so important is that we can get a little bit caught up in the fact of being excited that we get to enter into salvation and please don't get me wrong, that's not a bad thing. But what we're trying to establish in this house and what we're, we're trying to do is to take us deeper. That we can't camp at, well, I'm saved and I'm just waiting to go to heaven because God is so good to me. There is an understanding about that, but Jesus came to fulfill the promise that he made to Abraham and to re-sign a new one, one that could not be broken. Do you know why? Because he signed it between mankind himself and God and he brings us into him. 
He signed it in a way that it cannot be broken. The reason the son had to die on the cross was to fulfill the covenant that was made to Abraham. In order, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. He came to finish the first covenant and to rewrite a new one. The power of Jesus' resurrection is that that promise that he made with God, that covenant that he redesigned and allowed us into, is now true and real, and we get to come into that. For what reason? His namesake, the church, cheered with absolute joy. (laughs) Go with me to Matthew 4, chapter 12. How many minutes do I have? A few minutes. A few minutes. Matthew 24. No, sorry, Matthew 4. Matthew 4, verse 12, 17. I'll get that right one day. Matthew 4, 12, 17. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and, and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. You can go back and see the prophecy of Isaiah that the, the Messiah would live in the land of Zebulun and, and Naphtali. Uh, verse 15, the land uh, of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in the darkness have seen a great light and for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The first thing that Jesus does when he starts his ministry, the first announcement that he makes when he calls to the people, he says, my ministry has begun. I am starting what I, was come, I had come here to do. Let me give you the opening line, the vision statement, if you will, of Jesus' ministry. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus stood in that place and he said to the powers of darkness, no longer will their law and system reign. My kingdom is now here. Therefore, my rule and reign is being established. And all those who will repent and come into me can come and live of that place. That was what Jesus started his ministry with. He came in and he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to equip the people to operate from my kingdom, not from the kingdom of darkness. And we will start to push back the gates of hell. Fast forward in Matthew all the way to the end, the last chapter, chapter 28. Jesus Jesus starts his ministry by saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he ends his ministry here in in the earthly sense as as a man. Before he ascends, is what I'm meaning. Before he ascends to go to heaven. He ends by saying this, uh, Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
He then, you don't have to go there, I'll just, I'll just read to you. He then, the last thing Jesus says is in Acts 1, 6 to 9, before he ascends. And he says, when they came together, the Lord, were you at this time, sorry, when they had came together, all the disciples come around him, they say to him, Lord, at this time, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or season that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus starts his ministry by saying this, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Then he goes on to teach them how to live in his kingdom. He says, my kingdom is now available to you. Then he teaches them throughout his ministry how to live out of his kingdom. Then he says before he goes, now that you've learned all that I can give you, you've been restored and regenerated through my um, uh, uh, sacrifice on the cross. The, the darkness has been pushed back. It's finished. You will win now with what I've given you in the authority that I've given you. Go into all the earth and make disciples. Then at the very end when they're like, okay, Jesus, you were here, you were with us, you died, you've been restored, you've come back, you've taught us all these things, you've told us now to go and make disciples. Lord, so now are we going to take the kingdom of Israel? Are we going to overthrow the earth? That was the, that was the problem that Israelites felt. They wanted to throw back the natural worldly system. And Jesus says very simply, it's not for you to know. Go into, Jeruz into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth and preach my gospel. Reveal my kingdom. Everything Jesus asked us to do was just to go and reveal who he was. He doesn't say anything to them about them. Don't worry, brothers. You'll be with me in heaven soon. Don't worry. We'll be together in paradise. He says, no, you have a job to do. Now that I've done what I needed to do, you must go and do what you need to do. What Jesus is saying in the very end of his, of his, of his life, in the very end of his ministry, in, in this sense, he's saying, we have been saved into a vocation. We have been saved into a role and a job to do, to go and continue the work that he laid out before us. I know this isn't the exciting, yes, we, we, we're done. We've been, we've been regenerated and we just get to, to party now until Jesus comes back. We get to just wait and hang out and be, be over the moon. Jesus says, no, I've got two very important things to do. Go into all the earth and tell them what's happened here. A vocation is a regular occupation, especially for one which a person is particularly suited or qualified. It's an inclination or aptness for a certain kind of work. It's a calling of an individual by God. God has asked all of us in our salvation to respond with the way we live our life. God is asking us to respond. The, the cross should not lead us to, to inaction. The cross should lead us to action. It should not be something that goes, yes, I've made it. God has made me a, a king and a priest. He's made me this incredibly regenerated and I just sit on my chair and just wait it out. That's inaction. The, the, the gospel of Christ, the power, the cross that we wear around our neck and we tattoo on our bodies, that is a symbol to say he's called me to a work. He's called me to live and to reveal, continually reveal his kingdom and to, to bring about who he is, not unto salvation, not for salvation, because that is already done, that's already finished. But now, God, I will be equipped and empowered to go and to live my life to reveal your kingdom. What we do with the cross is reveals this, God, I will live my life for your sake. Jess and I watched a movie of, uh, a few Last week, I forget what it was called. What's that movie called where he goes to the, the place? 
Tom Hanks. The Terminal. The Terminal. She got the ghost of the place. She knew what I was talking about. Uh, the, we watched the movie The Terminal, right? And it's a silly movie. He, he, he goes to a terminal. His country gets broken. He doesn't have a passport anymore. He can't leave the terminal. And the whole movie is him living in this terminal, trying to get to New York City. And it's so funny because the reason he's trying to get to New York City, the very reason he's trying to get out, is that he's got a can of signatures from his father. And his dad loved blues, and all he wanted was one signature. The whole movie is about this man getting a signature to, in a way, solidify his dad's life, to say, Dad, I made that promise for you. I did all that I could do for you once you had passed. And watching it, again, it's a silly movie, but he gets to the end, he, he succeeds, and there's this shot where he's incredibly joyous about, I got the signature for my dad. He puts the can on, and it's like my life has been fulfilled because I did what I made the promise. There's an element of this when we see the scripture that God is saying, will you live your life for me now that I have gone on? And in the sense that he's still with us, he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But the, the, the challenge is I have asked you to do a job for me, to do a task for me, to come and to be with me. The Bible says that we would do even greater works than he has done. I think that greater is number, not necessarily size, scope of work, but more numbers because there's more of us, right? But the challenge in that is that will I live my life, God? Will I chase that signature, that care? God, you died for me to bring me back. Will I pick up my cross? Will I pick up my calling? Will I pick up my life and now live for you and to see your kingdom come and to see your will be done? In Genesis 1.26, God says when he creates man, let us make man in our image after our likeness. The very mandate that mankind was given in the garden was to look like God. The reason that this house, we have a, a little slogan, it's to be image bearers of Jesus, is because that was our original call from the very beginning. What the cross does is allow us back into that task that God gave mankind in the garden. Does that make sense? To be image bearers means that we reveal Him in this world and we reveal the, the beauty or the, the groans of creation back to Him. The prayers and petitions of the people filling the throne room is us as image bearers giving back the glory and worship to God. We are called back into the vocation that God gave us in the beginning. We are called back in to be people of Him, to be image bearers of Christ, to be followers and leaders and guiders back into who He is. Today is an incredibly powerful day. Why? Because Jesus died on the Friday. He rose on the, on the Sunday and allowed us back in to our vocation, back into our call and promise that He gave us from the very beginning. Today is not about us. Today is about the fact that we are allowed back to bring Him glory and honor once again. The, bless, the best place we can be as people is to be glorifying and honoring the King. And what Jesus did on that cross allowed us back into that place. That is an amazing understanding that we can now go back to who we, were, who we were created to be, to be image bearers of Him. Jules is excited about that and that's all I need. Do you know what I mean? I know, this is, I know that this is a, a, a deep thinking thing, but the challenge for this is that when, when somebody asks us, why did Jesus die for us? It should be the most well-rounded, understood theology that we have. 
because it's the very um, center and essence of why we are Christians and who we are because he fulfilled the promise. He created a new covenant and he allowed us back into that covenant to continue to bring him praise, worship, glory and honor. That we actually are allowed into the place to worship him once again. So why should I want to enter into that? Because this is the best place that you can be to bring worship and honor and glory to him. I think I, I said this a few weeks ago, but there was a, a, a rapper, Lecrae, he said, um, someone said to him, don't you feel like you're wasting your life um, in, in worshiping God? Because what if you're wrong? What if he doesn't exist? And he said, which I think is phenomenal, he said, if I'm wrong and God doesn't exist, I waste a hundred years. But if you're wrong and he does exist, you waste eternity. You had an amazing opportunity to worship and honor him and you missed it, missing all of that understanding. And what that is, is us being to, getting to be in a place that al allows us back in to worship and honor him. Why don't you stand and let's just pray, but I want to read a, a portion of scripture from Revelations before we do. Just stand and, and while I read this, just close your eyes. I'm just going to read this and we can pray and go and have coffee and snacks. But I just want this to roll around. I want to I leave you with this picture that allows us to see exactly what took place on the cross. And it's from Revelation. And the most powerful thing is that John, the Apostle John, was at the cross. He watched Jesus be crucified. He saw the crucifixion of Christ in the, in the natural. And then he goes up into Revelation and he sees this, which is the crucifixion of Jesus in the spiritual. He got to see both the natural and the spiritual. It says this, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, worthy, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God set out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, for every tribe and language, people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor 
and glory and blessing. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. God, you were so worthy. Lord, you were the worthy lamb that was willing to be slain. God, you were the only one who was able to open the seals, Lord, to reveal the ends of time. Father, you were the only one who was able to bring us to be a part of that magnificent picture that glorifies you. God, worthy are you. God, worthy are you. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty, who is, who was, and who is to come. Father, I pray that this weekend would be the beginning of this generation seeing you in the center. Father, I pray that this weekend would be the start of something they've never seen before. That this weekend would be the beginning of you, Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, being center in their life. God, I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would bring you back into center of every part of our life, that we would understand that you have called us into a vocation, into a, a work for you, God, that you have asked us to come and step in as your priests to worship and glorify you and to push back the gates of hell. God, I pray that this weekend would be the beginning of the rest of our lives in you, living from you, Holy Father. God, that we would see that all that we do is to bring you glory and honor. That all that we are to do is because of who you are, Lord. Help us, Father. Help us when we fall short. Help us when we miss the mark. Help us when we go back to our old self and live in the flesh. Father, break that off us so that we can continue to bring you the glory and the power and the honor that you deserve. Jesus, you are the King of Kings. And you are the Lord of Lords, God. We bend our knee to you. We come as your sons and daughters, but we come as servants, as worshipers, as priests before you, Jesus, to bring your glory and honor. May your kingdom come. May your will be done right here, Lord, in our lives. Jesus, we just declare that you are the king in this house, the king in this city, and the king in this nation and the nations. And God, we worship you, we honor you, and we say thank you, Jesus, that you would come, that you would take that brutal beating, that you would die on that cross to fulfill that covenant, that you would recreate a new covenant to bring us into, that you would rise again, and that you would ascend on power to sit at the right hand of the Father and rule. God, we love you. We honor you, Jesus. And in your beautiful name, we pray. Amen.